Illusion, the international science radio show. We have a bouncer and the doors of perception. <laughs> the good, the bad, the ugly. It gets pretty exciting. The myths, the truths. Toxicology. Astro seismology. Magnetism. The dark side. Genetically engineered potatoes. Planetoid. Planetoid. I love that word. <laughs> <laughs> Hello and welcome to Diffusion. Listen to amazing and bizarre science infuse into your brain. I'm Ian Wolfe. On this edition, we'll feature balanced reporting, free internet and biological poetry. But first up, here's the news. The charity group A Human Right is planning to purchase a satellite that would provide free basic internet access to developing countries around the world. The group was founded by 25-year-old Costa Grammatus, is currently raising money to buy the TerraStar 1, the largest commercial communication satellite ever built. TerraStar, the company that owns the satellite, has filed for bankruptcy protection in October 2010, opening the possibility that the satellite might be up for sale. They hope to raise $150,000 to finalise a business plan, investigate the legal and business aspects, and bid for the satellite. After the initial phase, they're going to develop an open-source, low-cost modem that could be used to connect to the satellite and finalise plans with partner governments. The groups say internet access is a tool that allows people to help themselves, a tool so vital it should be considered a universal human right. Imagine your digital life disconnected, Without access to the 100 million man-hours that has been put on Wikipedia, how much do you actually know? Nearly 5 billion out of the world's 6.9 billion people don't have access to the internet. A human right plans to finance their satellite by allowing telecommunication companies to buy bandwidth while providing basic service for free to everyone. Their goal is not only to get everyone online, but to facilitate the growth of an industry. So far, they've managed to raise $45,000. In Egypt, they say, we've watched as the government in an unprecedented way shut off internet access for the entire country. We're building a system that can't be shut off. It's as decentralised as possible. You could jam the signal somewhat, but to do that at the scale of a country is a very difficult task. Glasses that autofocus have been invented by an American company, Pixel Optics. The lenses are made from liquid crystal that changes shape to change the focus. The glasses are designed to replace bifocal lenses, which usually have a section of lens for distant viewing and a smaller section for reading. The electronic glasses are powered by a battery hidden in the earpieces and they can change the reading section on and off. So you can drive or walk around without a lower half of your lens that you can't see through. You have the option at a finger tap on the earpiece of making it switch to reading mode when you bend your head down using a tiny gyroscope or to manually switch it on. Geeks outside the bifocal business have immediately seen that it's a short step away from adding a manual zoom feature using the same technology. Imagine being able to summon binoculars with a slide of your finger on your glasses. The glasses may also be ideal to combine with the iTap computer interface glasses of Professor Steve Mann in Canada. His innocent designer glasses hide a heads-up computer display, camera and microphone. He's connected to the internet for all of the time he's wearing his glasses. He's been using glasses-based wearable computers for over 30 years. The Monty Python comedy team, 
put their videos onto YouTube in high definition for free, and as a result, their DVD sales have gone up 23,000%. They did this by putting links to the DVDs on all the videos, which means we can track all the extra sales and know that they come through these links. The team stated, we're letting you see absolutely everything for free, so there, but we want something in return. None of your drivelling, mindless comments. Instead, we want you to click on the links, buy our movies and TV shows, and soften our pain and disgust at being ripped off all these years. A Canadian poet is using genetic engineering to produce living, recursive metapoetry. Christian Bock is programming the genes of a tough bacteria to encode a free verse poem. His DNA sequence makes a protein that decompiles into another poem that replies to the first poem. The Xenotext Poetry Project is in collaboration with Stuart Kaufman at the University of Calgary's Institute of Biocomplexity and Informatics. Bock is writing a 50-word English poem, a rumination and rejoinder on the futility of life, poet and germ in conversation, translating it into DNA, and we're talking about the the nucleotide building blocks, the GATC, and inserting it into the genome of Deinococcus radiodurans, the toughest microbe on the planet, a microbe who laughs at hard vacuum and radiation hot enough to cook you to a cinder. Genes are the most stable storage medium that 4.7 billion years of evolution have been able to come up with. They beat the pants off DVDs. And Deinococcus carries some of the most stable genes. Bock is shooting for a poem that'll still be around and iterating when the sun blows up. And it doesn't stop there. Not satisfied with simply inserting 50 words of non-functional junk into a Deinococcus DNA, he's going to design the poem itself to code for the production of a protein that will itself be constructed into a whole other poem. That is, the nucleotides that the protein is made of will spell out the second poem. One poem for the instruction nucleotides and the second poem for the building blocks of the protein. Talk about bringing literature to life. He's added a fluorescent marker to the sequence so that microbes containing his art will glow red. The poems also make a reference to something that is rosy of glow. His ultimate aim in the Xenotext experiment is to engineer a primitive bacterium so that it becomes not only a durable archive for storing a poem, but is also a usable machine for writing a poem. And finally in DNA news, gonorrhea has incorporated a segment of human DNA into its genome. We don't yet know what it does in the genome, so we don't know how useful it is to the bacteria. Horizontal genetic transfer between host and parasites, instead of just between parent and child, or even from bacteria to bacterial virus to virus, really complicates our view of evolution. Transfers like this can end up adding DNA from unrelated animals and plants to each other through the action of the bacteria. You're listening to Diffusion Science Radio. Send email to diffusion at 2SCR.com. Brought to you across Australia on the Community Radio Network, into Sydney on 2SCR 
and over the internet on www.diffusionradio.com. Next up, Peter Bowditch on how not to be fair and balanced and why never to debate. I have a website where I express my opinion and I get occasional emails where people say to me, why don't you let other people express their opinion on your website? Now, my view is if they want to express their opinion, they're perfectly capable of starting their own websites and their own blogs and saying whatever. I don't need to pay my hosting fees or my ISP fees to do it. Now, I was reminded of that this week on a television program where they ran a story about vaccination. We've just had another case of a child dying of pertussis in Australia. It was in Victoria, uh, first case in Victoria since 2004. The television program obviously had to have balance. So they had doctors and specialists and nurses and paediatricians and a doctor who opposed vaccination, except she said she didn't. There seems to be this obsession with science that you always have to be balanced and produce the other side. The problem is that in science there often isn't another side. I assume if they had somebody on there who wanted to talk about the history of the Second World War, they wouldn't have a Holocaust denier on. If they, uh, if they wanted to talk about geography, they wouldn't have someone from the Flat Earth Society. But when they talk about medicine, they seem to always have to have somebody from the other side. Uh, in this particular case, I think they might have edited it down a bit, the particular doctor that came on just simply said, oh, she would never discourage anyone from using vaccines, but really it was better if you actually ate lots of veggies and had a healthy diet. I saw this woman on stage at a function put on by the Australian Vaccination Network, Australia's number one anti-vaccination outfit, where she talked about how the MMR vaccine causes autism. She is as committed an opposer as anybody, but for some reason or other, they had to have her on a show which was talking about this serious issue that we have a disease which we thought had gone away and is suddenly back and it's back because we've reduced the vaccination. But you see this with all sorts of science shows, particularly on tabloid-type television. They will have somebody on who has to give the opposing view for balance. Now, sometimes it will work the other way. You might have the, the, the flat-earth person on there or the perpetual motion machine, and then you'll get a real scientist that will come on. He'll have his nine seconds to explain why perpetual motion doesn't work, then he's gone. But it's still... A, balance. I think there are a lot of things where there is no point of having balance. Report the news, say what the story is, get on with it. Well, of course, even scientific facts are not perfectly exact, but they are as exact as it is humanly possible to make them at the time. It's a scientific fact, a scientific fact. It has to be correct, it has to be exact, because it is, because it is a scientific fact. One of the things that follows on from that is... What would you do if you're asked to debate people, if you're asked to come on and actually be the person who does the balance? Now, sceptics are often accused of a lack of balance when dealing with people who don't speak the truth. Now, I was reminded of this a few years ago. I was organising a conference specifically about the dangers of alternative medicine. I promoted this to the press across Australia. It went out to about 800 people. And there were journalists who were science writers, medical writers, and so forth. What amazed me was the reaction I got from people who said, are you going to present the other side? I said, well, not really. It's actually about the problems of the other side. Uh, one person actually suggested two names to me. Uh, one is a person who teaches homeopathy in a real university. The other is a doctor who is implacably opposed to vaccination. So I didn't think I'd use either of those. Much of this, I think, can be put down to the sort of thing that they teach in journalism schools. I probably shouldn't say that here in this building. Uh, but there is a tendency these days to go a little bit postmodernist and say that every point of view has validity. 
Uh, well, actually, it doesn't, and that's what science is about. Science is about finding out what really is the truth. Uh, I'm not a, a scientist by trade or by training, but what I am is a person who studied the philosophy of science, and I see science as a way of finding out the truth. And there are things where there is simply no other way. You get this idea where everything has a an equal point of view you should be able to present. And that leads back to TV programs, radio programs, saying, let's get this person on to provide the balance. Now, of course, the worst mistake you can make, I think, is to actually be one of the balancing people. That actually isn't really the worst. The really worst thing you could do is to arrange to go on public debate with people. Uh, a few years ago, I, was, I made the mistake of being involved in a debate on the Sydney Morning Herald's website with a bunch of creationists. They were working full-time. It was their jobs. I was doing it part-time and swapping emails with people at universities and the ABC and places like that. And what I found was, I, even though I'd been following these people for 20 years, they still managed to ambush me with two or three things that I'd never heard before. Uh, the, the classic was, and this actually made me stop the debating process, which was a written debate, not a spoken one, and the final essay I wrote was simply an essay on logical fallacies because they'd used about 30 of them. So, uh, But I came up with the one thing which people use all the time in the discussion of evolution. But they point to the fact that we share genes with lots of other organisms. This is seen as evidence of some common ancestor way back. And I was told that no, the fact that we share 60% of our genes with tomatoes is in fact evidence of special creation by God because it makes tomatoes edible for human beings. Now I thought the only real response to that was, well, in that case the perfect food would be that with which we share 100% of our genes being humans, but they didn't like that idea. But they come up with all sorts of arguments. In fact, in the end I gave them a list of questions. You know, please explain you know, your evidence that the Earth is 6,000 years old and don't say this, and I, there's about 30 of them. And one of them was, um, don't misquote Stephen Jay Gould because that is not evidence that the Earth is 6,000 years old. And the very person who had misquoted Gould in the debate came back and said, when did we ever do that? So I learnt from that. But at least a written one, you've got time to think. If you're on stage with someone, or you're on air with somebody, you may not do that. You've got two options. If you speak first, you get to say what you're going to say. The other person gets up and simply starts, goes into a non-sequitur mode straight off, has a rant, and they sit down, and that's what the audience remembers. If you go the other way, what they will do, and it doesn't matter who you're debating, anti-vaccination people, you know, Holocaust deniers, 9-11 truthers, whoever, they will get up and make these statements, and you don't have time to respond because they'll make an absolutely outrageous statement, sometimes backed by nothing at all. And if you've got two minutes, or in a radio interview, you might have a minute or two minutes on air. If you're going to go on ABC News or radio and television news, you're only going to have a minute to speak. The whole segment is going to be two and a half minutes. And I've actually made a list of things which I think you should think about if you're going to debate people. And just think about how you would respond to these things, these questions, in one minute. I thought, actually, question, there are statements. Vaccines contain part of aborted fetuses. That's actually an interesting one because uh, the Vatican issued a statement in 2007, I think, making it perfectly acceptable for Catholics to vaccinate their children using vaccines which had been derived, built on cell lines from an aborted fetus from 1962 
on the basis that you had an obligation to your children and other children which overrode the, the fact they didn't like it. Uh, by the way, that was issued as a press release which said, Vatican says Catholics should not vaccinate. Another one, you're talking to a creationist. There are no intermediate fossils. They'll say that to you. Now, how do you respond when you start explaining that, in fact, there are? It takes you too long, but you've lost the audience. You're talking science to them, in big science-y words. And, of course, they've always got the answer. You say, well, we've got this, we've filled this gap between this. Ah, now you've got two gaps. AZT causes AIDS. This is a classic one. This is a case of correlation. I've been told that uh, AZT, the antiviral drug, causes AIDS on the basis that everybody who takes AZT has got AIDS. Therefore, it must cause it. When I said, well, in that case, though, paracetamol causes headaches and plaster on your leg causes broken femur, they said, oh, no, we're talking about something different here. But you don't have time. Again, if that's thrown at you, you haven't got the response to it. Auschwitz was uh, not an extermination camp uh, because Hitler never signed any piece of paper saying it was so. That's perfectly true. There's been no piece of paper found where Hitler actually signed a thing saying, hey, create this place in Poland and kill two, a million and a half people or whatever it was through the thing. Uh, black people have a lower IQ than white people. Well, you could talk for about two hours on why the statistics and the analysis of that were wrong and what they did and, ed and how IQ is affected by education and opportunity and you don't have time. The statement's been made, you're beaten. The Korean teaches nothing but either peace and tolerance or violence towards non-believers. Now, coupled with that, this other one. The Bible teaches nothing but peace and tolerance or violence towards non-believers. Both of those statements are actually untrue. But how are you going to explain it to somebody? You're going to quote the sections from the Koran that you know, contradict this other quote the contradictions in the Bible? You can't do it. You don't have time, which is why you don't debate people. All homosexuals are pedophiles. You'll get that if you go and debate you know, Fred Nile. You know, in fact, it's incorrect. Some are. Probably no greater proportion than there are amongst heterosexual people. You know, in the same way that you know, all heterosexuals are supposed to like you know, decorating their homes. Well, you know, I went to some pretty fancy houses run by very straight people that have had some you know, lots of glitter around. Atheists have no moral restrictions on their behaviour. Get this all the time. Uh, of course, you have to say back to people what is the only thing that's stopping you raping and murdering, the fact that you might go to hell if you do it. Uh, that's not acceptable. But really, that's an unanswerable question. It, or it's not unanswerable. It's just you don't have the time to respond if it's thrown at you in a debate. I uh, was involved in a debate with the, at the Springwood uh, Winmalee Anglican Church once, which is quite a friendly one. Uh, they run it every year, and then we get up, and basically it's so atheists can get to know Christians, and we all get them very well. And I almost became a believer, actually. I was on stage. There were three people on the stage. I was at the lectern speaking. The other speaker was sitting at the table, and the moderator was sitting with him. And I said, I'm an atheist. And this crashing sound came from the back of the stage almost immediately. Almost had a conversion on the spot. I thought later I might have been imagining things. I heard a recording, and it's almost instantaneous. Something fell over at the back of the stage when I said I was an atheist in the discussion. So... You can, that was the answer to that one. God answered. Autism is caused by the mercury in MMR vaccines. So you can explain how there's no mercury in MMR vaccines and on and on you go. But again, you have to talk for 10 minutes to a quarter of an hour to explain it. This one I love. John Wayne's 
was had 40 pounds of impacted faeces in his colon when he died. Now, you actually have a immediate response to that, which is, there, how do you know this? As there was no autopsy carried out on John Wayne's body. Of course, they'll simply respond, prove there was no autopsy. You're now in trouble. That bunch is used all the time by the, the fresh food people. Apparently, you've got to purge yourself all the time. Uh, Louis Pasteur admitted on his deathbed that germs do not cause disease. I get this one all the time. I've actually found a book written by his son-in-law, who was there when he died, who described his last 24 hours. And I think the last thing he said was about 24 hours before he died, he had a glass of milk and said thank you or something like that. He never spoke again. But a book published 40 years after he died as a hagiography for a competitor makes this claim that he backed it down. But how do you explain that if you're in a debate with someone who says germs don't cause disease and Louis Pasteur said it on his deathbed? You say, that's like Darwin renounced revolution on his deathbed. You know, everybody does it apparently. There's all these people hanging around deathbeds waiting for people to renounce their life's work. Newton was a creationist. This is actually a true statement. But so what? Everybody was a creationist at the time. It means nothing, but it tends to be thrown into a conversation as if to say, well, it's what some sort of celebrity endorsement of creationism. Uh, that doesn't influence at all what he had to say about physics and mechanics and how the universe works. The fact that he was a creationist. He also believed in astrology. <laughs> but you know, So the guy had some strange things he believed in, but that's got nothing to do with the argument about either creationism or science. Uh, another one I like, Royal Raymond Rife's microscope, an optical microscope, which was developed in the 1930s, could magnify 60,000 times. Now, when you have to try to explain things like resolution, the wavelength of light, uh, why Carl Zeiss use as their company slogan, limited only by the laws of physics, and will sell you a microscope that will magnify to 1,250 times, they reckon they can do 1,400, but you can't buy that microscope off them because it's not reliable. <laughs> But again, you've got to explain this in scientific terms, and but the damage has already been done. You're seeing as defending a statement. But of course, and of course, Rife's work has been totally suppressed, except I bought the book at Amazon. And the last one, one that you will actually get from the 9-11 truthers, which is that no plane flew into the Pentagon on September the 11th, 2001. That's because apparently there was no aeroplane-shaped hole in the building. Uh, the fact that they actually recovered the body parts, they've identified the DNA of all except five of the passengers, and including the, the hijackers, the five hijackers are on the plane. They've got the black box which showed the thing going this speed, this far above the ground, whoops, all of a sudden stopped dead. And the fact that there was a hole burrowed through three layers of the Pentagon. Uh, that's too long to explain. It's much easier to believe that in fact, it was the plane flew past masking a rocket which was actually going to run into the Pentagon. The plane then rose to 350 feet and flew away. And apparently American Airlines just came back with bits of passengers and bits of black box and threw them into the wreckage. Uh, but that, that's... You have to explain physics to people. You have to explain why if a plane flying at nearly 1,000 kilometres an hour runs into a very large building, the energy's got to go somewhere. And where it goes into it's vaporising a lot of the aluminium of the plane and breaking it up into bits. So it's a real danger in making these sort of debates. But the, one of the problems is just manners. You're in a debate with somebody and they make some outrageous statement. And we've all been trained to be polite to people. 
And often if you actually are in one of these debates, particularly if you're on a, in a radio program or a, you're being interviewed by you know, a television current affairs program, if you express the opinion you should, which is to use rude words, knock the microphone open and storm out, they don't invite you back. But part of the problem is, in fact, we are encouraged. It's the way we're brought up to be polite to people, even if we disagree with them. And so you end up in one of these debates where you're ambushed, you don't know what to say next, all you can say is, oh, well, yeah, I can get back to you on that one. And that's really you know, the, the argument of, of you know, why I won't debate people. I mean, also, too, there's just the fact that people will debate you if they know who you are because they see it as a win. I think Richard Dawkins, I'll give him the last word, where he said he won't debate creationists. He said because a debate with creationists looks really good on their CV and really bad on his. You can hear more from Peter Bowditch at www.ratbags.com. I'm biased because I knew it all along. Hindsight bias, I knew it all along. I'm biased because I put you in a category which you may or may not belong. Representativeness bias, don't stereotype this song. I'm biased because of the small detail that throws off the big picture of a thing. Anchoring bias, see the forest for the trees. I'm biased toward the first example that comes to mind. Availability bias, to the first thing that comes to mind. Oh, bias, don't let bias in your mind. Bias, don't try this, it'll influence your thinking and memory. But you're guilty of distorted thinking Cognitive bias Your mind becomes blinded Decisions and problems You've been forced to solve them wrongly And that's all from us this time on Diffusion. You can send email to diffusion at 2SER.com That's diffusion at 2SER.com And tell us your thoughts, feelings and stories. If you'd like to be on radio and you live in Sydney, we need more volunteers on Diffusion. Subscribe to our podcast on the Diffusion website, www.diffusionradio.com. That's www.diffusionradio.com. Contributing to the program was Peter Bowditch. I produced Diffusion in the studios of 2SER in Sydney, and Diffusion is broadcast nationally via the Community Radio Network. I'm Ian Wolfe. Join us inside your audio device of choice for more science wondering next week on Diffusion Science Radio. I'm biased because I'll only listen to what I agree with. Confirmation bias, you never mind if you are this. I'm biased because I take credit for success, but no blame for failure. Self-serving bias, my success and your failure. I'm biased when I remember things the way I would have expected them to be. Expectancy bias, false memories are shaped by these. I'm biased because I think my opinion now was my opinion then. Self-consistency bias, but you felt different way back when. Oh, bias, don't let bias in your mind. Bias, don't try this, it'll influence your thinking and memories. Don't mess with these, you're guilty of distorted thinking. Cognitive bias, man becomes blinded.
slow in my heart. 